Welcome to the Cabin Cast. Your getaway primer. Hello. Welcome back to the mainland. Yes, I've uh, developed a bit of an Irish brogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've been on the move. Your family just got back from a great adventure. Yeah, we had a really quick turnaround. So we flew out, I believe, on a Thursday and flew back on a Monday <laughs> from Ireland, from O'Hare to Ireland and back. So it was really fun. My wife has family over there that we visited and we just stayed in Dublin the whole time. Okay. How did the kids do? They did good. It was very quick for the time change. They're six yeah. hours ahead okay. there. So I think we just ended up trying to keep them up really late so that when we got back, it matched up really well and it worked fairly good. My four-year-old and my daughter are waking up at four in the morning now. <laughs> so we're trying to figure out how to shift that back yeah. as fast as possible, of course. And they're getting really tired at night, but otherwise it was a fabulous trip. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So I do have a funny story about the trip. We I decided to take the family. So there were 22 of us that went and which is parents and kids and my in-laws, my mother-in-law and father-in-law. And we talked about going to a traditional, like a soccer game or football game over there. And Ireland doesn't have a super fancy premier league. So I guess like comparatively it'd be club level, I don't know, like semi-pro soccer. Um, I think they're top player in this league and that they play in the Europe league, like the Europe all-star league, but it's not like premier league level. It's not the fanciest soccer in the world, the most expensive. It's not like the NBA, but it's more like a G league type of thing. So I think their top player makes like 150,000 a year versus hundred million or whatever the guys, yeah. the other guys make. And uh, we walked into the stadium and it was a sold out crowd. They called it a Dublin Derby. So it was the two oldest, the St. Patrick's, versus the bohemians and they were the, the two oldest irish soccer teams in oh, dublin wow. and sold out crowd i think there was like 5500 people there it was a smaller stadium but like just you could just it was dripping in history and it had this you know spray paint and the murals on the walls and it was really interesting and we were supposed to be sitting in the general section which they just had bleachers so you didn't have assigned seats and so this whole string of people walks in and I hear someone ahead say, follow Uncle Rob to our seats, right? Do you have an Uncle Rob in your group? Uncle Rob. Okay. Yeah, my brother-in-law is Rob. Okay. So we're following Uncle Rob, and I'm in the back of 22 people. So <laughs> as I come from the back, I look over, and Rob's coming out of a porta potty Oh, my goodness. And I'm goodness. following the line of people. So I'm like, okay, if he was in the porta potty who are we following here to our seats? So we get to our seats. And as we're walking in, the seat attendant walks over to me and says, hey, there might be a little bit of swearing in this section. I'm like, all right. well, Because he Irish. saw your kids? Is that yeah, why? He just saw the whole family. Yeah. He's like, there's going to be a little bit of swearing in the section. I'm like, yeah, we assumed we're at an Irish soccer game. People yeah. are going to swear a little bit. So we sit down. We got there early so we could all sit together. Well, all of a sudden, high schoolers start coming in. College guys start coming in. No other families start coming in our section. And then the kickoff starts and everyone stands up and we were in the singing section of <laughs> so the what's stadium. The singing section? So the singing section is the section where they wave flags, set off smoke bombs and swear at the other team <laughs> the entire game. They chant and they have really, I mean, vulgar, 
completely vulgar <laughs> cheers and chants the entire time. And they, everyone was looking at us like we were absolutely insane to have. I mean, we had people that was as young as two years old up to high school. Like, this is like this a band. movie. And so this whole American family is sitting in the middle of these rowdy soccer hooligans waving flags and cheering and chanting. And we are just cracking up. It was absolutely hilarious. So everyone held in there because you couldn't. No one sat down the entire game. You couldn't uh-huh. even relax. They don't serve beer at the stadium because of how rowdy and excited people get. So we were just like soaking it all in. I think at one point um, my middle boy Lachlan whispered to my mother-in-law like, I think they're swearing. And she's like, oh, yep, they definitely are. And uh, the family stayed about halfway through. And then everyone's like, okay, 45 minutes of this craziness is fine. Luckily, St. Patrick's was the home team that we were sitting in. They were winning the whole game. So nobody was getting really riled riled up. But I stayed for the second half. And once the family left, it's like they visibly got even more rowdy. The chants got even more vulgar. And then they started off setting off smoke bombs. So there's like oh, my goodness. flags waving and pink smoke rising into the air. And it was definitely the most memorable part of the trip because we somehow ended up in the wrong section <laughs> and no one was like, hey, you guys, do you do realize what's about to happen here? They just said, oh, you might hear a little swearing. I'm like, might hear a little. It's all we heard oh, the whole my time. Goodness. So, that was so pretty you funny. really got to experience a soccer game. Yeah. And it, it, we took it was probably a half hour, 45 minute cab ride. So this isn't like something that it's not a tourist thing. I don't know if there's another tourist in the thing. It's like a very local kind of rivalry. Uh-huh. So we got to really visibly see the just culture, local right. culture and all it. So we went to the pub right next to the stadium and it was just, it was really fun, really hilarious. So did, what did uncle Rob say? Did, did he start leading, but then he decided no, to go to the bathroom? No, he didn't know. I think he was just walking ahead and someone I, from the back goes, okay, let's just follow uncle Rob telling the kids just to keep. But he had going. no idea he was the leader. <laughs> no, no. And in, we, it's not like the sections were marked very well. So we we would have been sitting like three sections over in the center uh-huh. if we would have done it right. But instead, and I just walked in last because I was, I mean, you're kind of herding, right. herding cats with all those kids. So we were just trying to make sure everyone's stuck with. No one got lost in the crowd. And that's where we ended up. And it, oh, it, it, it makes we'll, a we'll great We'll never memory. forget that. So It reminds me of when we were driving to Montana one summer and we were going to camp the whole way. So... I was calling ahead to campgrounds to to book things in South Dakota, and every campground I called said, "You're a family. You can't stay here." <laughs> what? It was Sturgis. Oh, and I am not. You know, I don't ride a motorcycle. I didn't even think about Sturgis. Right. But they would not let us come stay sure. because we were a family. Yeah, and that makes sense. I guess you just didn't know what swearing you would hear. Yeah, you could have said, no, my children are bikers. They have bicycles. Right. Yeah. And they're fluent. Yeah, fluent. <laughs> so that we just ended up having to kind of wing it and found somewhere to, to camp that was okay and not a problem at all. But oh, you must have been surrounded by motorcycles on the road driving yeah. through there at that uh-huh. time. Well, because sometimes when you go somewhere, you don't really think about the options of how many ways you can get there. You're like... No, we're we're going this way. This is how way. you go, yes. and we're going to see Mount Rushmore, and we're going to do all of that, rather than well, maybe we should go a different way because it's going to be so busy. But yeah. it all worked out fine. But yeah, it's kind of interesting when you travel with your family and you have to think about all that stuff, the things that they're going to encounter, and for sure, see. for sure. Well, oh, I'm, and I have one more f- funny story. So before we left, our friends were were over from the Twin Cities, staying at um, Black's Cliff Resort. 
in Hazelhurst here, which is a, a really cool old cottage resort, just old cabins. And uh, they have just fire pits and and really neat kind of setup, just visibly in a small little lake over in Hazelhurst. And my wife and my kids had gotten there earlier. I had to go do a service call or deliver some furniture or something. So I was driving over. So I pull up to the resort in my truck and I parked in the trailer parking because their cottages don't have room for a big, big old truck. So I get out of my truck and a guy pulls up next to me, says, hey, do you know anyone with a 12-gauge shotgun? <laughs> and I said, okay, how do I answer this? I'm like, yes, I do. I have a 12-gauge shotgun. I'd actually been grouse hunting that weekend with my 12-gauge yeah. shotgun. So I'm like, yeah, I, I know somebody. And he leans over and hands me a shotgun shell. And he says, I found this on the bearskin trail and thought I should give it to somebody who looked like they could use it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so would you ever pull over a stranger and hand them a bullet? No. Isn't that crazy? And, like, I wasn't wearing camouflage. I was wearing just a, like, a actually, the shirt that I'm wearing now, which is just a red flannel over, like, shirt. And he doesn't know what kind of person you are or no, anything? No, nothing. He doesn't know me from Adam. And uh, he's just like, hey, here's a bullet I found. Would you like it? Oh, my goodness. So my friend. It wasn't just the shell. It was a a loaded shotgun shell. And it looked like it had been run over by a car. So, A, I would never put it in a gun. Once I got it, I'm looking at it. It's all scratched up and smashed. But I'm like, what? Wow, that was random. Were you just sitting there for a while after? Like, did that really just happen? Yeah, did someone just hand me a loaded bullet? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And then my friend Matt goes, Dude, you do know he just probably murdered somebody, and now you're the, uh, oh you're the lead suspect. You have the other shell from the gun. Like, well, yeah, if you would have shot, if it would have been an empty shotgun shell, I would have been even more worried because who'd you do, if it smelled like gunpowder right? and you handed me a bullet? But whoa, yeah. And also, I feel kind of proudly stereotyped. Not that I'm trying to portray an image it by any <laughs> means, but just somebody's like, yeah, that looks like a guy who has a, knows someone with a 12 gauge. Okay, so. I think getting called the podcast guy yeah. is going to your head because yeah. now you have this these images you're gonna be. <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the guy who gets handed shotgun shells wherever he goes. Your nickname's gonna be twelve gauge. Yeah, twelve gauge, right. <laughs> that is so it was so Did you change strange. your license plate even to that? To Did I see gauge, that? Yeah. Twelve yeah. <laughs> gauge kid. Gosh. You just haven't had time because you've been traveling the world. Yeah. I just it's like, oh, that looks like a guy who <laughs> Oh. Wow. Have you ever had other random things like that happen where people just come up to you and, and hand me bullets? No. Yeah. I, but- there, I I always visualize there's the show Justified. Have you seen that with Timothy no. Oliphant? Um, he's a Texas Ranger. I'm sure some of our listeners had listened to it. And one of my favorite scenes in the in the show is he's trying to threaten somebody and he tosses them a loaded bullet and says the next one's coming faster. Oh my goodness. And I just love that. It's just a, you know, aggressive way to threaten somebody. <laughs> and that's what I was thinking. The guy was going to toss me the 12 gauge shell and be like, next one's coming faster, oh buddy. Oh my goodness. Wow. Where the You were just by yourself. Though, I was by myself, you. pulled up in a truck and I got out of my truck, started walking. A car pulls up to next to me and the guy leans across his passenger seat and hands me a shotgun shell and says, you look like a guy who knows someone with a 12 gauge oh shotgun. Oh my gosh. So. Yeah. My only random thing, people have come up to me several times throughout the years and stopped me to say, you know who you look like? And I'm like, my sister, you know, like, yeah. um, and they're like Rita Wilson, Tom Hanks's wife. Oh, sure. Okay. I can see that. So, I mean, like often. Really? Yeah. So oh. that's kind of bizarre. Yeah. But otherwise I can't think of like 
any random when conversation. Just, yeah. Weird things happen to me when I'm traveling. Um, like one time I was traveling in Budapest, Hungary, and I was I get a lot of crap from this from my family because stuff like this randomness, I guess, does happen to me. This one, I was going up an escalator coming out of the tube station, and somehow one of the teeth like where the escalator runs over, it's got those grooves on it. Okay, not your teeth. No, but like the teeth, <laughs> it wasn't even really a tooth, but like where the escalator grooves hit the yeah, the floor, yeah, basically, yeah. it's got grooves out. Yeah. Somehow one of them had been bent straight up like a spike. Yeah. And I stepped on it and it went through my shoe <gasps> and didn't go into my foot, but I couldn't get my foot off the escalator. I was stuck at the top of the escalator because a spear of metal had gone through the bottom of my shoe and slid along the bottom of my foot. Oh, my God. So I had to take my shoe off quick so that my lace didn't get caught right where everything was going. And then the rest of the trip, I had a quarter size hole punched through the bottom of my shoe. So I had to <laughs> go find shoe glue to fill it. Cause so every time I stepped in a puddle when it was raining in Europe, oh, I didn't get God. soaked feet. Oh, but just, goodness. yeah, w- weird, ridiculous things happen to me when I'm traveling. Um, But that shotgun shell was definitely a brand new one for me. Just being held a surprise in a live round. I think it's going to, the story is going to keep growing too, like catching a fish. You know, as you tell this story over the years, you tell it to your grandchildren. He handed me a 12 gun, 12 gauge shotgun. Yes. yes. Or you'll get the TV show confused. (laughs) with The real of it. Yeah. He did hand it and said, next one's coming faster, Uh buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So when we retell this and you know, 20 years on the cabin cast. We'll have to compare it. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys had fun and had a safe trip. Yeah. It was a good time. That's awesome. The cabin cast is brought to you by roughing it in style on the cabin cast. We talk a lot about making memories, but what makes a home or getaway more likely to create those cherished times? The interiors team at roughing it in style is here to help you find that perfect memory making balance in your home. The balance between gathering and privacy, form and function, relaxation and entertaining. We have two showrooms stocked with furniture, decor, and lighting. Our up north store is in Harshaw, Wisconsin, 10 miles south of Minocqua. And our out west store sits on the doorstep of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. Find out more and plan your visit today at roughingitinstyle.com. I do have an article to share. So we kind of talk about all kinds of different cabin setups, whether they're VRBOs or just personal family cabins. And this was kind of a unique news story that we'll post in the show notes here. It's from um, bridgemichigan.com, or it's actually bridgemi.com, on Isle Royale, Fate of Summer Cabins Pits Nature Against Family History. So have you been to Isle Royale? No. Okay, I think my wife's been there a bunch of times. It's supposed to be amazing. There's moose and wolves on the island. and So Isle Royale, 56 miles seaward of the Upper Peninsula, Chris Gale lashes his boat to a faded wood dock and walks a mossy path to the cabin his family built in the 1930s. Just before this Lake Superior archipelago became one of America's most remote and wild national parks. Though his great-grandfather sold his two-acre property to the U.S. government soon thereafter, 73-year-old Gale has been coming to the wood-framed four-room cabin on one of Isle Royale's surrounding islands summer after summer for most of his life. The dock, he said, is a portal to memories of summer parties with the many families who used to summer on Isle Royale and a dozen that still do. 
Today spent navigating misty coves and evenings surrounded by black and white family photographs, heirloom fishing gear, and a model wooden ship tossing driftwood on a big stone fireplace. With no electricity or modern plumbing or a cell phone signal to reach the outside world. To this day, said the retiree from Calumet, if I can't get to sleep, I think about Isle Royale. Gail has collected those experiences thanks to a lifetime lease his family negotiated when it sold the island property to the U.S. Park Service. After those generations died, subsequent agreements have allowed descendants to remain to present day, but time may soon be up. After a decade of debate between cabin users and those who object to their exclusive hold on the public property, park officials are crafting long-term plans for the roughly 200 rustic cabins, outhouses, park buildings, and other structures that speckle the shores of Isle Royale and its out-islands. That includes reconsidering the deals giving the family special access. Ooh. What's yeah. your thought on that? I think it's a tough one. Yeah. But if they promise these people lifetime access to the cabin, and I don't know if it's lifetime of the cabin— who pays for the upkeep and the maintenance. Right. I mean, to me, it just s- smells of a government deal that they don't, yeah. the people who make the deal don't think of the ramifications. They're right. like, Oh, who cares what happens in a hundred? I mean, we're going on a hundred years from when yeah. the de- deal's being made, what happens then? And it, it seems like they should stick to their word, but they should also, I mean, if anything, they could say, Hey, if your family has stopped coming here, you have to hit a certain amount of markers or you need to start upkeeping the cabin yourself or something. Yeah. That's the one thing I think about, like the families that have been treasuring it and they've got those memories, like how devastating if that would be revoked, but then there's probably people that don't even take care of their place. They just have it. That's not okay. Yeah, they have a lease. So, yeah, it's definitely a catch-22. But should the public be funding the upkeep of these cabins so that right. other people can stay a few times a year without anyone else having access to them? Then you are you kind of have a, a sweet private land deal. But right. when you make a deal with the government, you know, unfortunately, it's never going to surprise anyone if they, you know, go back on their word right. 100 years from then. Yeah. I know my parents' uh, cabin – they have a little cabin on a lake in Montana and they it's on government land. So they, they rent it from the government and there's all kinds of things they have to go through a checklist. And when they bought it, they had to, you know, sign, they would do certain things had to be inspected by a government person. I mean, there's a lot of hoops to go through to even have one of those places. Yeah. And then liability is another thing. Someone stumbles on the cabin, gets injured. I mean, it's just, it does definitely get complicated, but, uh, I think that also when the government comes to you and you own, what they say, 200 cabins, they go to 200 owners and say, hey, we're going to take this land away from you to make it a national park. And they say, wait a minute. You know, I, I get eminent domain. They say it for roads or for right. a military base or something that they need to do for national security. But if you're just taking private land away from people, I think they did the right thing telling the people, okay, we're going to take this away, but you'll still have access to it. Yeah. But maybe they could have done it a hundred years where the people are like, okay, I'm sure hundred years from now, it gives everyone time to figure out alternative setups. Right. And the people that are affected immediately don't really have to worry about it being an issue for them. But now with a lifetime lease is, I think, you know, lifetime is a word that is easy to bend in a lot of different ways. Yes. You know, I'd be interested to hear from any of our listeners that have cabins that have a government negotiation going on or yeah, some kind or of. Yeah, or a spin or just anyone. If you check out the article, it goes on and on and has a lot more of the details in it mm-hmm. um, that you guys can read. But we'd love to hear from you what you think about the situation, what you think about the original deal that was made and what, 
you think is going to happen. You know, it's it's fun for us to hear back from all of you guys. You know, when we post things on Instagram and Facebook or, you know, when you just send us emails about your stories, because you shared a cabins in the news about the Steiner cabins. Yes. And I posted the picture on Instagram and then uh, we had a response from someone. Tapawingo cabin said, wow, I'll definitely listen to episode 73 ASAP. I've got a special interest because our cabin, Tapawingo cabin, is a Steiner. I've had a love affair with Steiner cabins for years, but never dreamed we'd be blessed to live in one full time. So I love when our stories make connections for our listeners and we get to learn more about it too. So that's amazing. Yeah. We'll have to hear more about that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. The other thing you said and read in that article that made me think was how he was talking about time at the cabin was, it was a portal to memories and all those things that were around. And I was just reading in a book this morning. I usually read a book, uh, like a quiet time book in the mornings and it's called get your life back. It's by John Eldridge. And it's about all these things you can do to slow down. Yep. And this chapter was about memories and the power that they have and to let yourself sit in memories. Like he was talking about his memories of going down um, a river in the Tetons and just feel all those things that happened and how that can rejuvenate you, even though you're not there, even though it happened in the past, to just live those memories again. He had a, he keeps a rock on his desk and he can pick that up and it takes him right back to that moment. And, you know, you smell, I smell the pine trees and it takes me back to the summer camp I went to as a kid instantly. So how those, you know, we talked about souvenirs and yeah. another one of them, but those things that can take you right back to those moments and then give you more energy for your day ahead. So, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So I loved I loved the description and how he wrote that. Yeah, that, and that's usually the articles because I when you go through cabins, I've, I've talked about this before in the podcast, but most of the news articles on cabins are like uh, new cabin on the market for one point three million. Check yeah. out all these because that's an easy article to right. write. Amazing house on a cool piece of property. Um, that's not super interesting to me. Yeah, and on the other. End of that, there's a lot of articles that are poorly written with no descriptives. But when I read an article that someone clearly put time and thought and effort into on an issue that you can absolutely see both sides and and then write it in a really eloquent way that kind of brings up that stuff, I, those are the articles I like sharing. Here. Yeah, that was a great one. That brings up a lot. We could have several episodes just oh, on that article. Yeah, and, yeah, we'll read through it. And if we, we find out more, maybe it's a story we could track along the way and see what happens and update yeah. everybody on what's going to go on. Hey, it's Kristen. I'm here to tell you about White Arrow's Home. White Arrow's Home is a lifestyle brand that shares a warm and cozy mix of design ideas, inspirational style, and personal journeys from the backdrop of the Wisconsin Northwoods and my lakeside log cabin home. I love sharing daily inspiration for you on my blog, through social media, and in my shop. At White Arrow's Home, you can shop in person in the store, but also online from anywhere. You'll find a mix of antique, vintage, and new furniture, accessories, and gifts carefully curated to fit our brand of classy cabin and cottage decor, campy style, and always a heavy sprinkling of plaids. New products come in the shop daily with decor that will let you bring Northwoods living into your own home and style spaces that are inviting, beautiful, and make family and friends want to linger longer. Well, I I did have a friend that went up to Isle Royale this summer, and they were hiking, and 
they hike to the top of a mountain and then all of a sudden their cell phone goes, welcome to Canada. <laughs> and they were like, what? <laughs> so somewhere they pass some yeah. little divide. Oh, that's cool. And their phone welcomed them to Canada. Yeah. And, and they were just that, on a hike. A helicopter full of Mounties comes right? chopping yeah. in. Uh-huh. Let's see your passport. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's probably one of those where, yeah, you're at the border, but you're not getting much further into Canada. Oh, yeah, in the right. Wilderness. So, yeah. So she took a picture and was like, yep, here's me in Canada. <laughs> so I loved that. So, yeah, adventure is just that doorway to making great memories. Yep. And you just gave your kids a bunch of those this this last yeah. Last week. Yeah, that was a good so. one. And then the other, I mean, the other thing noticeable in Ireland with the kids is at their age and because of the pandemic, we avoided large cities just in general for a couple of years. And we used to take our kids to Chicago or Minneapolis mm-hmm. it just to get them used to, you know, sidewalks and traffic. And here they're just free range. The kids run around and right. you have to worry about them running out onto the road generally i live in a dead end so i mean there might be 10 cars that drive back and forth on our road all day right but our kids don't have that innate sense of safety for traffic that they should Mm -hmm. and that gets a little dicey in the streets of dublin which some of the sidewalks are like one person narrow it's a international city so people don't really walk in the same like one particular direction like they do in the U S where you stay on the right to go one way and everyone's on the left. They just walk everywhere. So you have to really dodge and keep that uh, body awareness in a crowd. And the kids just don't have that. You know, they run around, they think something's funny. They turn around to say something to you and they're bouncing off people's legs. And then you got to keep reminding them to keep your eyes open, pay attention right. to where you're going. And then, you know, just don't step off a curb while you're talking because mm-hmm. cars are, you know, six inches away from the curb on some of the back roads. So that, there's that anxiety of a parent is like bringing kids into a new environment they haven't grown up in right. and just making sure you're being safe. But it's it's so smart. It's such a great way to get them exposed to those things and into the world and the way things are different other places. So it can either make you want more of what you see or appreciate where you are. I mean, I've always loved I say go big and stay small. So stay in our small town, but go to bigger places and travel and experience those things. You know, my kids are pretty adventurous kids. They love to go cliff jumping up in the UP and do do things that I would maybe do. But I think helping them have those experiences help give them opportunities to be brave. Yeah. Or a great thing. What about your kids? Yeah, that's and that that dovetails really well into the song that we're going to talk about. There's something that I talk to my kids about all the time, and that's why this song that we're going to share here really caught my eye. I tell them, like, you can't really be brave unless you're afraid. Like, kind of the whole point of bravery is be afraid and do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And this is a song called Be Afraid by Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit. I love Jason Isbell. He's a singer-songwriter and um, plays with a band called the 400 Unit. And this song... It's a little tough to pick out some of the words, but the main verse of the song is be afraid, be very afraid, but do it anyway, do it anyway. And it's just like, that's what I'm trying to get my kids to understand. Like, Mm -hmm. and it can be something as little as they get creeped out when they're in our basement and we have a basement with a walkout and you can see it's like not a scary basement, but when they're down there by themselves, they really want to run up and grab one of their siblings to watch TV with them or do those things. And 
just trying to slowly not force them to do things that scare them, but encourage them to do something that they're uncomfortable doing anyway is just going to help them later in life for so long. Totally. I I was listening to a TED talk this morning about it was five things parent. I think it was like five things parents can do to help their kids grow up or something like that. And it, it covers that is one of the main things because so many parents want to make life easy for their kids and jump in whenever something's hard or the kid's uncomfortable, but they need those times. Yeah. And that's, yeah, you're not doing them any favors by saving them from being uncomfortable. Right. You are, if you're saving them from being injured or hurt to some extent that that's helpful, but it, it's important to let them test the limits and step over the line sometimes and get slapped, you know, whacked a little bit and learn boundaries, but also, you know, you're trying to build character. Yeah. That disappointment is okay. I know we've been talking a lot about at my house too, about you can feel sad, but still be, if this even makes sense, still be happy. Like you're, you're still okay. And yeah, it's okay. You're going to feel sad sometimes, but you got to just, we always talk about like, Paddle your canoe and stay in the middle of the river the best you can. Don't get too far to either of the sides yes. and where the boulders are. But, you know, yeah, uh, experience those things that make you brave and know that you're going to get through it when you feel scared, when you feel discouraged. For yeah. sure. Yeah, that dichotomy is so important between, yeah, you can, and how would you ever feel happy if you've never been sad? If right. you haven't had things happen in your life that, makes you feel a certain way. You're never going to recognize when you're feeling the other way and where that, that good stuff is. And so, yeah, again, this song really great, just, you know, caught my ear and I thought that our listeners would love it. So here is be afraid by Jason Isbell in the 400 unit. We've been testing you and you failed to see how long it you could sit with the truth, but you bailed. Yeah. It's the, the music fits the lyrics really yeah. well. Yeah. It's, it's powerful. And he, yeah, he's not just trying to make a, a soft point. He's trying to make a strong point. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's an important one. Yep. Read those lyrics again. So the, we've been testing you and you failed to see how long that you could sit with the truth, but you bailed. And I don't think, you even recognize the loss of control. I don't think you even see it in yourself. See, every one of us is counting the dice that we didn't roll, and the loser is the last one to ask for help. Be afraid, be very afraid, but do it anyway. Do it anyway. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So 
I'm excited to hear what uh, you're going to go do anyways this week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah this week, this and I'm off to New Mexico on an elk hunt. So I'll keep everybody in the loop on how that's going and try and share some things along the way. That's awesome. Have a great time. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Cabin Cast. You can find details and more information in the show notes on our website at www.thecabincast.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you won't miss a single episode. Follow us on your favorite social media channels. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Cabincast. We'd also love to hear from you. We want to hear your getaway and cabin stories. For a chance to have your story featured on an upcoming episode, email us at getaway at thecabincast.com. Until next week, enjoy the journey.